0: Welcome to The Pound Perspective, presented by Nate Dog Sports, a podcast based around discussions and debates about recent football, basketball, baseball, and MMA events. Now, here's your host, Nate Dog. And welcome back to The Pound Perspective. This was only supposed to be a UFC slash boxing pod, but after all the madness today on Tuesday, I had to make this episode 37, so we hope you enjoy. If you're watching on video right now, you can tell it's just me today, solo pod, like I said, it was just going to be about UFC 291 and Terrence Crawford versus Errol Spence boxing match, massive fight weekend, uh, of course, uh, for fighting fans, Um, but Today on Tuesday, we had a lot of craziness happen. Good news, bad news. So I'm going to go over all of it uh, right now. So I'll be bouncing around between sports, so bear with me. This is just a massive news segment. And then we will get into all the stuff for USC 291 and Terrence Crawford versus Errol Spence. Let's start with massive news, though. We're going to start on some big-time deals that happen around all kinds of sports today. We're going to start with Jalen Brown. Oh my goodness The Boston Celtics star Jalen Brown Has agreed to sign the richest deal in the NBA A five-year, $304 million Supermax contract extension Yes, you heard that right $304 million That exceeds the two-time MVP Nikola Jokic's $276 million extension With the Denver Nuggets Um, Wow Just, mm, that's a lot of money, man A lot of money. I should have been a basketball player. Let's get into it, though. We're going to kind of just debate, you know, did he earn that contract? Did he do enough to earn that contract? And uh, I'll come out first things first and say uh, this is a play to the market. And technicality-wise, yes, this man earned his contract. He earned every single nickel of that contract for the simple fact that he was an all-NBA player. Yeah, he was a two, uh, what, second team All NBA player, but he still was an All NBA player, and what that All NBA player status allows you is that supermax contract. We would see some other players that missed out on that contract be getting paid as well. This, uh, this is a massive, massive deal and big time news in the NBA because it's the first player to to crack that three hundred million dollar mark. Everyone was talking about it over the offseason. Uh Will the Celtics pull the trigger? Will be, they be the team to pull the trigger and keep that little dynamic duo over there, JT and JB, together? A lot of people were saying they shouldn't. Some people say they should. I mean, they were right there this year. They were in the championship, the finals uh, the last year against the Warriors. So first things first, I just wanted to say it's a play to the market, and technicality-wise he earned every single nickel of it. Um, like I was saying, the rumors, are they going to break up JT, JB? This kills that, I'll tell you that. This kills those rumors because if you sign this much a guy to that much money, you are committing to him. You are committing to him fully for those five years. I think there was a no trade clause or a a trade waiver, so he has the option to obviously waive the no trade clause, but like I said, you're not trading the guy if you're signing him to that kind of a deal. So, that gives some Celtics fans some clarity on the direction this where this team is going. I honestly thought they had clarity once they got rid of Smart and and brought in Porzingis, but... You know, this definitely clears any more, uh, you know, murky waters over there in Boston. This is – and thirdly, you know, this team has pretty much made that big dance, like I said. You know, back-to-back seasons. uh, They're a legit contender every year with that dynamic duo. Last year, technicality-wise – once again, we're going to use that word technicality-wise. Statistically, they were the best duo in the league. You know, they scored the most points. They put the most – points together they won the most games together it felt like so you know when it comes to a statistically that duo was the best in the league then it comes down to will that duo be able to win a championship together though you know we see these duos that are very very good that can't pull off the championship and it makes me wonder is this another duo that can't get there can they reach you know that that destiny all those teams are setting out for once they start in the october and i'm here to say that they can do it if you can make a finals and be one game away minutes away from you know another finals appearance and before that you could make a case that the lebron last year when um with cleveland they should have won that game in game seven so there's three times that this duo has had opportunities and you know, two times that they should have been there, even though they came back from 3-1 against Miami, tried to come back from 3-1 last year against Miami. You could make the case both of those times. They should have made it and should be in the finals three times. So, if you're getting that close or even making it, I think you got something there. You got a heck of a group already over there. I love you know, you know. I wasn't a big fan of the coach early on over there with the Celtics, but he grew on me throughout these playoffs. He He's a you know, everyone knows he's a Greg Popovich, you know, comes from that tree. And it's hard not to believe in a coach that comes from that tree. So, for me, you got to run it back, you know, even though I was a little skeptical due to what I'm going to get into in a second. But when you look at it in the East, who's better than the Celtics? Like, legitimately, right now, the only team I could say is the Bucks that are even in their realm, right? That's the only team. That's the only team in Miami made it in the East last year and they beat the Bucs. So that's big for me to say. I will say if the Heat are able to land a Dame Lillard, then the Heat are right in there. Probably should be the favorites in the East. But right now, they don't have Dame Lillard. And they beat the Bucs, so I'm not going to give it to the Bucs. And, you know, the Celtics, the Celtics win well, at least at least they went seven games with this the Miami Heat last year. So for me, you know, they're the best team overall when it comes to a roster. You know, they got a lot of talent over there. I think Porzingis was a, an amazing pickup for Boston. So, for me, it makes sense. Why not run it back, man? Why not give the guy his bag that he's earned? Um, but lastly, obviously, what everyone's debating is, did he earn this contract? Was, you know, even though he got that, that all in status, did he earn it? You know, did he, watching him, do you think he is a $304 million player? And I... I don't know, mainly because I don't know how many players really are uh, a $300 million worth of that much money. There's only a couple I would say the MVP should should have been. Obviously, the, that number was – the highest number that he could have got at the time was 276. So, before that, that was the biggest contract in the league. It, I'm just going to you know throw some numbers at y'all. They're in these playoffs this year you know, 20, in 20 games. Uh, JB averaged 22.7 points per game, 5.6 rebounds per game, 3.4 assists, 1.1 steals. And then he also only shot uh, – he shot 49 per, 49.6% uh, from the field and 35.4% from three. And I also have, I think, his turnovers uh, – turnovers was at 66. So, you know, you look at those numbers and you definitely question some things, you know – 22.7 is not bad. I mean, I, I could, you could take that in points as your as your second option. But everyone watched last year. The way they watched, we watched JB. We saw what he did early on, struggling from the three. And once again, it's these, these things that kind of crept back into his game that we saw f- against the Warriors. Even though I would place the blame of the Warriors' loss more on JT than JB, um, that finals uh, loss because JT just didn't show up. But... It happens. Superstars go through slumps. And, but JT obviously proved this year that he is that guy. JB ha, JB is that guy. He's a dog. But the same problems showed up this year in the playoffs as they did against the Warriors. And that is inconsistency from three and just difficulty with handles, especially with driving to the rim. And for a guy that, you know, everyone knows what JB can do once he's at the rim. That dude is a, he's a Skywalker. That dude can fly. He's an amazing finisher with his with his layups, you know, and it, and he uses that threat, that speed, when he attacks the rim to get into that mid-range area that is also one of his best parts of his game. So, for me, you know, seeing, you know, not enough improvement there definitely definitely makes me wonder, you know, makes me kind of hold back on, was well, he worth all that money? And all I can say to it is, you had to pay the guy. So, you're playing this tough game of do we not pay this guy because he wasn't the superstar, superstar player that we want him to be right now. He's only I think he's only how old is he? Twenty six, I think. Let's let me look this up. I should have had this pulled up. J B uh, Jalen Brown's age. Uh, he is yeah, twenty six on the money. So I'm like he's only twenty six, guys. He's signed this contract before he's even technically entered his prime. You can say around 20 to 30 is that, that prime age when your body is physically at its peak and your mind is mentally at its peak. You've got that experience. You understand, you know, he's had championship experience. already. It's so crazy at this age. So for him to sign that contract before even entering his full-on prime, that's that's awesome for him. And like I said, you had to pay the guy. Like – Someone was going to pay him. If you didn't, if the Celtics didn't pay him that much money, someone was um, going to pay him. You know, supermax wise, it's five years, so that th- three hundred or is a little. You know, you, only the Celtics could offer him three hundred and four million dollars because that fifth year. So um, obviously, but teams would have offered him the same amount of money annually per year as the Celtics did. So for me, you definitely are like. Man, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money for a second NBA, uh, all NBA, uh, second team All NBA player. It's a lot. But like I said, someone was going to pay him. The Celtics really wanted to keep that duo together. I think it was a smart idea to keep the duo together. When it comes to the money, I can't question it because, once again, like I've said three or four times now, someone was going to pay JB. Might as well be the Celtics keep that duo together. Let's try and run it back, man. You know, as a Lakers fan, I don't want to see it, but. My brother is a Celtics fan, so I have to have a small, small, very, very small, you know, uh, okayness with the Celtics. So good for JB, though. I'm happy for him, man. I've watched that guy grow, and you know, he's got to fix those things, though. Fix that inconsistency from three in the playoffs, and fix that handle when he drives. You know, then he might be worth then he might be worth all all every single dime in that contract. Let's move on to another. Uh, deal that happened Actually, you know, let's skip that We're going to go to the other mega deal Massive mega deal that happened And this one was in the NFL Happened late today The Los Angeles Chargers and quarterback Justin Herbert Agree to terms on a five-year $262.5 million contract extension Wow, <laughs> a lot of money being thrown around today, man Adam Schefter uh, reported it the deal includes $133.7 million fully guaranteed, $197, uh, 93.7 million with an injury guarantee, and jumping potentially to $218.7 million guaranteed in full. Herbert deal makes him the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL based on average annual value at $42, 52500000 uh, million, and, and in year one, the man is going to make $100 million. Wow, thoughts on the deal? Deserved. and you got to you got to give him the money. Just like the Jalen Brown, you had to give him the money to keep him at LA, in LA. He has all the talent in the world, man. Justin Herbert has all the talent in the world. He has had all that talent in the world since Oregon. Uh, I saw it, you know. CDM saw it when we were watching him in college. He just didn't get to shine with the the Ducks as much as, as he's gotten to in the NFL. Um, with that system in Oregon, it just didn't show off that talent. He had that strong arm ability, that ability to just – and they, had, they talk about how he had leadership problems. I haven't heard a bad thing about this guy since he's been in the league either. So now, though, you know, you got your bag. It's deserved. Everyone knows the talent you have. Your talent is definitely worth that much money. Now it's about winning the big game, brother. And I don't want to put the blame or nothing on Justin Herbert, because by all means, this is not on Herbert for not winning the big games and getting even getting to the big games yet. This is on the front office. This is on coaching. Staley has got to prove some people wrong. Uh, he's got to prove some people wrong this year, man. Staley has got to prove some people wrong this year because man, oh man, that guy. He he is you know, I, I don't know. I hate to throw around the word hot seat, but. If there is a guy on the hot seat right now, it's gotta be him, man. That's gotta be him because you can't I can't be seeing these fourth and six attempts on your own thirty yard line anymore. You got a guy that you just paid almost three hundred million dollars to. You gotta give him the best chance to win and got you gotta give him the opportunity to allow you to win. It's more like it. Put him in the situations to be clutch. Justin Herbert has that ability to win games by himself. There's a very select amount of quarterbacks in this league that You know, that are, you know, superstar can carry a team on your back. You know, I would throw obviously Patrick Mahomes in there. I would throw, I would throw Joe Burrow in there. I would throw a a Jalen Hurts in there, and you know, I don't. I wouldn't throw Josh Allen in there. Uh, I would throw Aaron Rodgers in there probably still, and then and then you got to throw Justin Herbert in there with talent based, talent based. You know, obviously not proven it yet. He hasn't had the opportunity to prove that yet. Still, though, I mean, man, did he did he earn it? Did he earn it? Uh, yes, he earned it with his skill set. He he is so, so dang talented, man, and it's it, the losses are not on him. All you got to see, though, is that improvement every single year, see him develop every single year. You had to pay him the money. Someone was. It's a very similar situation to Jalen Brown. Someone was going to pay him the money. Someone was going to. Chargers make the move before anyone else could. Smart move for the Chargers. Obviously, he's earned it. Now, now he's got to win and get at least second in that division. I've got the Broncos as a sneaky team winning that second uh, in their division behind the Chiefs. So if the Chargers they gotta get second, they gotta get second in the division, man. They cannot miss the playoffs. They can't miss the playoffs, first of all. If they are the third seed and you still make the playoffs, cool. That's cool. You gotta at least make the playoffs, man. This team has got a lot of talent, a lot of good players. They they drafted, didn't they draft Quentin Johnston? So I mean, come on, <laughs> the guy's got talent everywhere. Like they got to win. They brought in um the coach from um oh man from Dallas. Oh no, charge. Um, I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, there it is. Hang on. Kellen Moore, goodness sakes, couldn't remember it. If Red was in here have definitely helped me out there. So you, you you brought in talent to help out with Justin. Now it's about getting him there. I'm not trying to. I'm not saying he's got to. They got to be number one in the division. The Chiefs were in that division. It's going to be hard to even get third, second in the division, in my opinion. Because I think the Broncos are going to be very good this year. So you got to at least at least make the playoffs with this guy. Give him a chance in the playoffs is all I'm saying. If you give Justin Herbert a chance in the playoffs. Good things are going to happen, I think. Earned, deserved every single dime. Five years, $262.5 million extension. Good job on the Chargers and good job, Justin Herbert. I'm happy for you, brother. You know, like I said, he didn't get to prove himself fully when he was at Oregon. And you like to see a guy come into the league and just just show out. So congrats, my man. All right, let's get some other deals that happened today as well, some smaller deals. And these were also in the NFL. We talked about it last week in the running back situation. One of those running backs got a little little bit of clarity for this year, and he showed up day one to training camp, unlike Josh Jacobs. Running back Saquon Barkley. And the New York Giants have agreed to terms on a one-year deal worth $11 million. Barkley's new deal is worth one point, uh, $10.1 million, guarantee, fully guaranteed, including a signing bonus and uh, there is a – the. $909,000 incentives included, uh, an equal amount paid for three categories. So he has to hit these three uh, uh, stats to earn it. They, he has to have 1300, uh, 100, uh, words, 1,350 rushing yards and a playoff berth and 11 touchdowns and 65 receptions. So they are telling him, hey, you got to be everywhere, man. We need you everywhere. We need you on the field more like it i like that though because you know putting those incentives in there he's obviously going to go and try for it a million dollars is a nice little topper especially for running back like we've talked about these guys are no guaranteed money barely anymore it feels like even though he's got a 10 million dollars guarantee you know you take as much as you can get so you like to see that though you like to see you know saquon get a get a nice little bag this year obviously though it does feel a little bit like they're just pushing back the problem to next year. And some people will say that this is a prove it deal and others would say that this is just a deal to, you know, put more wear and tear on his body, so you don't want to pay him even more. So it definitely makes me wonder why just not sign him to a two year deal and just cut it off there, or maybe even a three year deal and just live with it. If you're gonna give him eleven million, I mean, I don't know if he would have taken the eleven million, but understandable. But like I said, I'm happy for Saquon man the, for showing up the camp and to see him and the Giants come to an agreement this year, you know you know he deserved it, you know like, like we talked about if between and last week we talked about between Josh Jacobs, Saquon, and and Tony Pollard who earned it the most. I would have said I said Josh Jacobs, and I still believe that Josh Jacobs out of those three running backs deserved a bag more than anyone, mainly because he was offensive player of the year last year. And he led the league in rushing yards and all-purpose yards. But Saquon Barkley was still very good last year. And he was a very big part to that offense last year. And I know he's one of those guys that you just – it's hard to pay Saquon multiple years and trust that he will be on the field. He's hes had an injury history, but a lot of these running backs do. So when it comes to it, do you commit to him long-term after this year? I don't know if they will. And I don't know if I would, but if he comes out and shows out and he wins an offensive player of the year, the Giants are going to have a big conundrum on their hands where they will dang near have to because I don't know what would happen to that front office between them and uh, Giants fans if Saquon leads this team offensively to something special next year. They're going to have to pay the guy. So at the end of the day, I'm just happy for him, and I just kind of wanted to highlight him getting his – deal with the Giants kind of done for this year. He's at Trinity camp, so they can they don't have to worry about that now. So they can all they can worry about is winning. I think that's a smart move for the Giants. A team that, you know, even though not, no one's given them a chance in that division, and I don't think they'll even – I don't think they'll be second or nothing, but, you know, they were a playoff team last year. Like, they were good. You know, they were good. And I know it kind of comes down to Daniel Jones kind of growing every single year, but, you know, the Giants were good, man. You know they made, they made some nice signings. You know Darren Waller. You know they, they had some good signings this offseason. So, you know I think it's smart kind of let them focus fully on winning some football games this year. So shout out to the Saquon Saquon Barkley getting his deal, and shout out to the Giants getting it done. Let's see if they can win some football games this year. Let's go to my favorite team, the New Orleans Saints. Kind of threw a little bit of a curveball at me today. They did do one signing I thought was very smart, bringing in Trey Turner off as a lineman former. Five-time Pro Bowler. I thought that was a great deal. And then uh, the curveball was bringing back 36-year-old Jimmy Graham on a one-year deal. That one felt good, though. Felt good. Obviously, it feels like a a one-year and retirement deal. Uh, At first, I thought it was a one-day deal. And I would have been like, that's a little odd. Um, Even though I love Jimmy. I mean, I was watching Jimmy Highlights after the deal and was like, man, he truly was the best tight end in the league at one point. For a year, for a single year. I don't want to act like, because that was Gronk's prime, so I don't want to act like an idiot. Like, I know how amazing Gronk was back then. But, man, those those that, that, was, that, was, that, that was a couple of years where he was on his top of his game for the Saints, man, Whew. he was special. He was special. So, but let's get into it. As a lifelong Saints fan, i love to see Jimmy back in the black and gold with the team that drafted him. you love to see a team kind of come back. Uh, a player come back to the team you was drafted by and kind of make one little, little last run in when it comes to it. But, uh, you know, on the field, though, it's that's where it really matters. And I'm just kind of interested to see what his role will really be. Is he going to be just a depth guy? Is he going to be a red zone guy? Because when you look at it, the Saints honestly now at one point in the offseason had a very, very, very weak uh, tight end room. Now it becomes a kind of a crowded uh, tight end room. With Juwan Johnson, Foster Moreau, Taysom Hill, and now Jimmy Graham. It's a very interesting tight end room now. You know, you know, I know Sean Payton was the guy that really led our offenses back in the day, but Pete Carroll, I mean Pete Carmichael was there. He was the offensive coordinator technically, and he runs a very similar offense. And uh that offense loves tight ends, man. They love it. You know, that 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 a lot of tight ends had a lot of success in this in the Saints system. So I'm I'm not surprised by it because of that. Like, the Saints use a lot of depth. And you look at a Juwan Johnson, he's going to be tight in one. I mean, he proved himself last year with the, the amount of touchdowns he got, kind of busting onto the scene as much as he did. And, you know, signing Foster Moreau, a two-way blocking slash good receiving tight end as well, but he's a very good blocking tight end. Boy from LSU kind of coming home. And then, you know, what Taysom Hill brings. You know, he's going to play a little bit of tight end, and he's shown that he's pretty dang good at blocking and, you know, receiving as well. And, you know, you look at Jimmy Graham, what's his what's his value to this team? And, you know, I could truly – even though he's 36, I know he's older, and that's really old – you know, not really old, but pretty old for being an NFL player and and in such a physical sport. You know, and a guy that has had injury, injury problems since leaving the Saints. I, when you look at his role – I I do think he could be a very valuable red zone threat for this team, you know. With a Jawan Johnson and him on the field, that's that's a tough matchup for for teams, man. Because Jawan, he's an athlete. He's a smaller but very fast tight end, you know, height wise. And then Jimmy Graham, everyone knows how big that guy is. He's, I think, he's six five, six six. So big tight end. So red zone, he was a master with the Saints. I was watching those highlights. You're like, dang, man, that dude was unstoppable in the red zone, man. I, I forgot how unstoppable he was with Drew Brees for those couple of years. So for me, it makes sense uh, if they're going to use him as a red zone, red zone threat. That was a thing the Saints had a major problem with last year. Uh, you know, getting into the red zone and we just they, they just couldn't do anything. They just yeah, that was on Pete. New offense, Pete not having a consistent quarterback. You know, I like Andy, but, you know, Andy could only take you so far. You didn't have a Mike Thomas. Chris Olave was your number one. And besides that, I mean, he had guys like Rashid Shaheed, but you know, he came in late in the season. He's a burner. He's not a guy that's going to go win a jump ball in the red zone. And Chris Olave is amazing, but that's not his skill set really either. So, you know, you're getting back a Michael Thomas, who's a red zone monster. And Juwan Johnson was, our, was the Saints' best red zone threat last year. So – You bring in a guy like Jimmy Graham, who that's where he thrives is the red zone. It makes sense to me. makes sense to me. If they use him in that way, I get it. I like the move. When it comes to Trey Turner, just a solid, solid move. You know, the Saints' offensive line was definitely a little underwhelming last year, you know, for the last – those last six years of the Sean Payton era. I mean, that was the last thing you ever worried about was having, you know, offensive line problems, you know. They had a lot of talent on that offensive line. They drafted well there, and you know we've the Saints have had a lot of luck on on health and when it comes to the offensive line. And last year that caught up to them, not because you know the offensive line wasn't bad. It was just the lack of depth. You know we lost players to injury, and, and that really caught up to the Saints. So you know bringing in depth. They've already brought in some more depth before this. You know drafting some guys as well. So it makes sense. To 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 make this move, you get a guy that's you know even if he's not a starter and he might even be he might not even get playing time this year, he's a former star offensive lineman. He knows the technique better than anyone. Bringing in a guy like that is so good for the young guys that are on the offensive line for the Saints, and his experience and locker room presence, man, I mean that's that 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 just bodes well for the Saints offensive line. So, I think it's very very good for the New Orleans Saints those two deals. And, you know, we'll see. Who that baby? We'll see. Let's move on, though, to Michigan and the NCAA. Uh-oh. Some negotiations on a re- re- resolution to uh, uh, an investigation into the Wolverines' recruiting practices that res- could result in a four-game suspension of Coach Jim Harbaugh. This is all surrounding recruiting uh, um, talks during the COVID-dead period. A lot of teams got busted on that, so the I'll kind of run through uh, if he were to serve that four-game suspension, he, the the games that he would miss would be East Carolina, Bowling Green, UNLV, and Big Ten opponent Rutgers. So the thoughts on the the you know the situation and would it affect Michigan's season? You know, you know, like I said, this is not the first team to get busted on this. You know, join this is kind of a for me a join the join the group type of thing. Uh, as we've seen, LSU, Tennessee, Air Force, and there's been more schools, but those are kind of the main schools that have been hit pretty hard on the recruitment issues during that COVID dead period. And there's definitely going to be a lot more to come out in the you know coming years, I imagine. Um, still, though, you know, I'm not kind of going to justify. It. You'd never want to see anything like this uh, in NCAA. You never want to see recruiting issues, and you know, people cheating the system in a certain way. Covid dead period. That's a weird one. So, I'm not gonna hold you know some some light to it or nothing. Like some some bad light to it. Like every team and everyone's looking for a slight edge, especially NCAA. When you got the juggernauts like Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, you got these squads that are racking in talent every single year. You you gotta you gotta compete in some way. So you look for a certain edge. So I'm not gonna be some I'm not gonna be some guy that's gonna be like, oh, you're terrible. I will never support Michigan or LSU or Tennessee or Air Force and all these teams. It's like you're, these teams are going to get busted. And this has been a thing that's happened for a long time and it won't stop. You know, this, the NCAA has to come down on these teams, and it happens. So, um, when, But when it comes to the season for Michigan, you know, let's get off of that topic. And when it comes to the season, I, I don't no, – there's, there's Mamba. Oh, gosh. I'm gonna have to stop for a second, y'all. Uh, when it comes to the season, though, I do not imagine uh, they they will lose any of those four games. You know, looking at those opponents, when it comes to East Carolina, Bowling Green, UNLV, and records, I don't think Michigan will have a problem with those teams without Jim Harbaugh. Um, but uh, when it comes to later in the season, that's when I think we could see the the impact of that that uh, suspension, because, yeah. Yeah, they're probably going to be 4-0 after those four games. But what losing a coach is like, and I'm not going to act like I'm some locker room expert. I mean, I've never really been in one. But I can't imagine losing a coach for four games in a season and also for a Big Ten opponent is good for your team, you know. And I know they're they'll probably be resilient, but when you look at – the teams that they face later in the season: a, a Michigan State, Penn State, obviously Ohio State. There's some other teams in there that can make a, give them a run for their money. I think that's when it catches up to the team. Even though Michigan is talented, I like their squad, I like their roster. But seeing something like this, it's it's hard to overcome. It's hard to overcome later in the season because you build that camaraderie, commodity, uh, commodity whatever the word is. You build that you know that 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 group that group environment over the season and you know when you're tested early on uh like just say if, if that record games is close and Jim Harbaugh's not there to pull it through for them you know give them motivation or something you know it's it's it those are those moments that you miss out on uh when their coach is not there so for me I think it does impact the Michigan season in a pretty big way when it comes to facing a Michigan State a Penn State and an Ohio State like that's uh that's a that's a tough break for Michigan fans. I don't want to look too much into missing four games, but for me, I mean, I I have a hard time believing that they will just wax all those teams again this year, you know, not wax, but beat those teams again this year and and be undefeated after losing your uh, your coach. And Jim Harbaugh is a hell of a coach. So, you know, losing a coach for four games, that's tough. You know, that's tough. And yeah, I'm not saying they're going to lose those games, but when it comes to those Michigan State, Penn State, and Ohio State I find it hard to believe that they're going to win all three of those games. I don't know which one they'll lose. I'm going to put my money on the Ohio State game mainly because I don't even think I would have picked Ohio, uh, Michigan to beat Ohio State in the first place because Ohio State's they're good this year. Um, I like McCord their quarterback. They got a lockdown on that squad. You know Harrison, stud could be the second pick in the draft. So you know, overall, I think it does affect you know the the season that. Uh, michigan will have later on um instead of early on like some people may think but i think that will do it for our massive news of the day i think i uh uh, when it comes to deals and stuff obviously we have the biggest news and you know scariest news of the day i want to just shed some light on it won't stay too long on it everyone in the world has reported on it so i do want to just say bronny james the eldest son of LeBron James, suffered a cardiac arrest on Monday at USC. Uh, it was actually uh, yesterday when it happened, yeah, on Monday. Uh, but he is out of the ICU and is in stable condition. Um, like I said, I'm not going to spend forever on this. And, you know, all I can say is just I hope he fully recovers and, and you just never want to see this. And we, I just hope we can see him, you know, be the man that he uh, young man that he was before the incident and hopefully we can see him on the court at some time. But like I said, this is a this is an issue that has been you know highlighted uh, very hard since the Demar Hamlin situation. And, you know, we use that word anomaly in sports when it comes to these type of things, and we do have to understand it's a rare occurrence. And like uh, I was watching ESPN this morning, and a doctor came on. I think it was an ABC affiliate. Affiliate, uh, a doctor came on and. Uh, talked about the, how many cardiac arrests happen per uh, year among athletes, and it's in that 100 to 150 range. And, and you look at about amount of uh, look at the amount of athletes we have in this world. Yeah, that's a small it's a small number, but that's 150 athletes that are still suffering these this this problem. And even though those st- statistics are low, it's a reality that we have to understand and we have to respect, you know, it's just it scares everyone to death. I cannot imagine being, you know, a parent with an, a kid that's an athlete. So, I just want to send my wishes to LeBron and Savannah. You know, I know that this was tough for them and it's tough for that whole entire family. I just want to just and, you know, to to kind of just wrap it up uh, even though he, he's an athlete that uh, is the son of LeBron James and I know people have their feelings towards LeBron James on and off the court. They can feel any way they want, but that people have to understand, um, that he's an amazing father and you can't debate that he's an amazing and loving father. He he has done amazing. Uh raising his two kids or three, you know, with, including Ziri, you know, Bryce, Barani, and Ziri, you know. No one can question that he's an, an incredible father. And, you know, I know people feel a certain way about him on the on the floor and off the floor with some of uh, you know everything that surrounds LeBron James is, is such a big presence and, and I'm not asking you to like the guy but I just want y'all to under just remind yourselves that you know these are humans and Bronny is a human and you know that's all we can remind ourselves of you know he might be a a little bit bigger of a human and you know he might get more highlights and, and you know more more you know publicity when anything that happens to the guy and and stuff, so, you know, I just want to send my wishes and prayers, and I understand that this happens to more than just, you know, superstars and uh, big faces like Bronny James, and we have to understand that even though it happens to Bronny, if it happens to Bronny, it can still happen to the high school and the small school in uh, Iowa, you know, it can happen to anyone, and we need to understand these are all humans, and we are all experiencing the same thing, so, I just want to send my my prayers and wishes, you know best wishes to the family and to all those who have been affected by any situation like cardiac arrest. you know this is this is bigger than just sports, you know, anyone that suffered anything like this, any sickness, any any condition, you know, send my prayers to them and you know hope speedy recoveries to Bronnie, of course, and all those affected by any situation like this. but they'll do it for the talks on the massive news today. A lot of stuff happened, so I had to get through a little bit of that stuff. I stuck a little bit longer than I imagined on it. Let's get to some fighting, though. You know, we got some big fights. Massive boxing match between Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford. The welterweight championship is on the line. Undisputed, baby. You love to see these matchups, man. After the long wait, we get the biggest boxing event of the year. And probably for me, like I said, I'm still a novice. It'll probably be the biggest boxing match I will have witnessed with my own eyes, li- eyes live. I've seen some big matches, but I-, I have not got to see anything like this. I don't think probably the biggest you know boxing match I've witnessed live has probably been the Fury Wilder trilogy, and you know you, you know, watching Usyk on his run recently. So, you know I I can't say that I've got to watch an absolute superstar, you know, just the best of the best. You know, compete against each other in boxing because we're in a weird sport with boxing. With you know the Jake Paul stuff, where that's considered boxing. I don't want to take anything away from Jake Paul or anything, but you know, seeing a Terence Crawford versus Errol Spence in their prime, gosh, it's so rare now, y'all. And you know, it everyone knows that who understands boxing. You we get these matchups, and sometimes it's just too late. One of the guys is over the hill, or one of the guys is too young. Um, we saw this with um, Pacquiao and Mayweather. You know, Pacquiao wasn't in his prime anymore, and Mayweather was, you know, Mayweather still, was still Mayweather. I mean, Mayweather is still boxing now at an elite level. And, you know, we saw um, Canelo a little too young for Mayweather, even though that fight was required for Canelo to get where he's at now. It's just awesome to see you know, two guys in their prime, and they're pretty much their best of their best. Uh, you know, Spence has still got some time to grow and, and stuff, but, I mean, this is physical primes. I mean, it doesn't get better than this. Let's break it down, man. I'm not going to st- come out here and give you all the all the thoughts and what I think is going to exactly happen, which who's going to use it a nicer jab, who's going to move the best and stuff, and who's going to slip the punches the best. I'm not going to be doing that. It's not, not That's not my style. I don't want to act like I understand boxing better than some people. But I do know that this is an amazing matchup, and Styles make fights, and this is a heck of a style between these two guys. Um, after all the turmoil to get here, man, it's it's just awesome. It's awesome we get to see this. Obviously, um, everyone knows about the car accident that, that Errol Spence was in in 2019, and for him to come back, you know, four years later, you know, in a car crash that you know easily could have taken his life, you know, in the crazy event that he you know goes through the windshield and that saves his life they say so you know those kind of unbelievable events you know you're just happy to see a guy like Spence with all the talent in the world and beyond just the talent and his skill set and sports like you just love to see a guy like that you know just be able to be alive and and still obviously give us the highlights that everyone loves to see in that boxing ring so I'm just happy to see Errol Spence in good health and able to you know, come in and fight Bud Crawford, but when it comes to a into the ring, let's get a look into this. You know, for me, when it comes to prediction wise, obviously Crawford has been a, more active over these past few years, mainly due to that car accident, obviously, and I do think that will definitely be an advantage for him. You know, there's definitely a thing uh, uh, the ring rust that makes that's it's it's a real thing, and people don't believe it but it's true you know not being in there for a long time compared to a guy that's been in there multiple times over the past few years it's it definitely it definitely can help out uh uh, definitely is it's an advantage and for you that that comfortability in the ring and you know when it comes to the style you know everyone knows how smooth how quick you know combinations crawford has and, and you know that that sneaky power it's combinations and then power you know he breaks you down and finds the shot, you know, he's so smooth and so fast. I've been watching all of his – a lot of his fights recently, and you see him against um, uh, Sean, uh, against Porter, Sean Porter, and, oh, my goodness, you know, even late he's able to, you know, finish a guy like that, and I think it was the ninth or tenth round. So, you know, it's it, you'd love to see it. His footwork, his combinations, it's, I do think that's really going to cause a little bit of a problem for Spence, everyone – if you watch Spence he's a little bit more robotic he's a big big welterweight a big guy so you know i do think that will give that size will give Crawford a little bit of problems early but like i said that speed and elusiveness that bud brings will i think that'll be the end of the story and it'll be a little it'll be late kind of so i think we're going to see something early where i think we're going to see earl get some some confidence early but you know how Bud is. He's he's a fighter, man. He's he's going to go out there, and he's going to take your punch, and he's going to let you do your thing, and he's going to just hit you combination, 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 combination. And then once he feels it, once he feels that he's got that opportunity, he's going to take it, and he's going to hit you with one shot that's just going to change the fight. And I do think he's going to hit him with one of those combinations And it's going to be a lethal combo, I think. And it's going to change the fight from there on out. I don't know. Like I'm saying, if I'm a betting man, I don't know if it's a KO. If I would tell you right now, I would probably go Bud via decision. But I ain't doing that. I'm saying Bud gets that TKO, KO finish in the 8th or ninth round, y'all. I'm looking at these uh, odds, obviously, here. Errol Spence has uh, a plus two hundred by decision, and Terence has a plus one sixty five by decision. Bud has a plus thirty, uh, plus three fifty, um, k, uh, k by KO. Errol's is at plus six hundred, so obviously Terrence is the um, more of a KO guy here. Um, when you look at the uh, by rounds, you know that that number really starts to shrink for Terrence as it gets later in the fight, because Terrence will he just brings you to those deep waters, man. He he will just take you in those deep waters and find a way to finish you. And for Errol, I mean the numbers they're they're weird. You know his his range of victory if it's gonna be in um, by KO or by uh, by uh, by KO finish. He's gonna be looking around. Betting wise, it's it's in that six to six to uh, round eleven uh, range. Uh, they they really bo- oh, no round ten. My bad. Six to ten. That's where they think his, his best odds are. I think if if he gets in there, he's gonna to have to kind of he's got to, to work it early. Terence is so fast, man. And when you look at Terence, like I said, his numbers just shrink as the fight goes on, and uh, his best odds are in the ninth and tenth round. That's why I think about the eighth round. We'll see something that hurts. Um, we'll, we'll see something that hurts uh, Spence. And I think in that, you know, that ninth or tenth round, I think uh, we see we see Bud come in there and come in there and finish him off. So I'm going Bud, eighth or ninth round KO. So we'll see what happens. I'm just more than anything excited that I get to watch a boxing event like this. First time in my life, I'll get to see something like this. Let's get into it though. Something a little bit more comfortable talking about. I hope I didn't just make a bunch of boxers, uh, boxing fans ears bleed. There, I I think I did a a good good enough research on that. That let me know if I sound like an idiot. But let's get into this UFC. I'm much more comfortable talking about this UFC 291 in Salt Lake City, Utah. Got an amazing main card, and you know sometimes I don't talk about talk through the whole main card. But uh, I'm going to do it because I know every single fighter here. I've been really a massive USC fan for the past, you know, it's just, it's been a minute now. So I know a lot of the guys now. I watch every single weekend, uh, whether there is a fight, free fights, um, and obviously main cards. So it's awesome. This is the second main card of the month of August. I mean, J- July. Geez. Don't, don't, don't away July yet, Nathan. Um, so, I'm just excited. The BMF belt is up between Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier. Obviously, I'll get into that one last. We're going to start at the, the bottom of the bill here when it comes to the main card. We got Michael Chiesa versus Kevin Holland. Another guy that I both of those guys, if you're an MMA fan, UFC fan, you know both of them and they're both of them are hard not to like. Both are truly finishers, that's for sure. They really like to uh, go out there and find their ways to win in, in uh, their own ways. You know, Michael is a definitely a submission specialist, and Kevin Holland, you know, the hands are so fast. He tried to go out there and you know box and kickbox against um, uh, Wonder Boy, which is another guy on the bill too. So, if you're going out there to do that, you got you got a lot of confidence in your hands and and, and kicks and stuff. So. I, I praise a guy like that, and but the underrated thing with Kevin Holland is that guy's a legit, legit jiu-jitsu guy. I mean, he could definitely submit you know, a lot of guys. And, yeah, is he going to submit Michael? I don't know about all that, but I think we'll see some surprises when it comes to that fight. When it, if, if this fight somehow gets to the ground, if Michael is able to get this thing to the ground, I think he's going to be a little shocked how good Kevin is on the ground. I think that's going to be a little bit of a shocker for him. And I don't even know if it ever gets to the right ground or nothing. So for me, I'm gonna get kind of get this one over with. Uh, I think Kevin Holland gets an early finish in this one. I think the hands and and kicks and hand speed and and defense is gonna be a little too good for Michael Early, and I think he catches him with you know I think he catches him with one of those hooks of his, man. You know, might be something crazy, but I think he just I think he keeps it tight. I think he keeps it smooth. I think he gets out there really. He just finishes this thing off. He wants to start this card with a bang. You know how Kevin Holland is. Kevin Holland is a a performer, man. Above all, you know, I know I know he's going out there to try and win. But that dude is a guy that is trying to excite fans. So, I got this one round one KO for Kevin Holland. Let's go to the next fight in this main card. Man, this one is, this one's a. This one's hitting heart, hitting heartstrings. I really, I've got two guys that I like, but one guy I like a lot more—not a lot more, but I like more. Um, And for me, these odds are, um, let's see—I wanted to pull them up again. Let's see. Yeah, these odds are insane to me. Uh, Craziness, I I find. You know, Bobby Green versus Tony Ferguson. Bobby Green is a minus four hundred favorite, and I know Bobby Green's a Hell of a striker, y'all. I know that. But, man, we are really starting to ride off Tony. I know he's on a a, a losing streak. It's a pretty bad one in his last two fights. Um, You know, obviously the nasty front kick KO against Michael Chandler and getting submitted by Nate Diaz in their last matchup. But that was in September, man. That's a long time ago. Uh, I'm starting to feel a different version in this thing. I think we're going to see a motivated El Kikui, man. I think this is going to be... I think I think Tony is at the point where he's accepted what has happened to him. You know, this 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 fall off is it's real. You don't want to act like it's not real. So I think he's to the point where he's gonna he's just hey let's just get a win. You know, let's not look at what this win could get me. Let's get a win. You know, let's just get back on track. You know, this is a. This, I think this is a decent decent style matchup for him, too. I know Bobby Green is a heck of a striker, and he's not going to be looking to take this to the ground at all, where Tony can find some some nasty submissions of his. Um, but I think we're going to see something, you know? I know what we saw against Nate was not the most promising, but he didn't look bad on the feet, you know? He didn't look bad, and then you know, obviously Nate submits him and stuff uh, late in that fight, but for me, when you look at it, it's stylistically, you know, Bobby is a dog, and he's gonna try and find your chin. He's gonna he's gonna touch you, touch you, and look for a shot. Um, but if you're looking at these odds, just don't let them sway you. That's all I'll say when it comes to this fight. I'm not gonna over speak when it comes to it. I think this is a this is a good matchup for Tony. And looking at it, uh, Bobby Green is um, plus one twenty five uh, via points. For Tony Ferguson is plus six hundred on um, points, and then Tony. His odds are so bad. It's crazy. I just, I'm a little shocked by that. Uh, KO finished. Bobby Green's plus 180, uh, 195. So that's pretty high. They really think this one's going to be done in the first round, too. Uh, Bobby Green is plus 380 uh, to win in the first round. Man, I just don't, I don't believe these numbers, man. I think right now, in my opinion, we'll be seeing a, a different, motivated, in a different way. I think he's motivated in a different way. I don't, it's not like a championship motivation. I think this is a you know, respect, like legacy motivation for Tony to come out here and just kind of, you know, because he looked good against Michael Chandler, you know, before he got his face kicked off, you know. He looked good against Michael Chandler uh, in that first round. I rewatched watched that fight. I was, uh, Tony won. I mean, everyone knows I watched. He won that first round, you know, and dropping Chandler. So, I mean, Tony's got bricks in his hands. So, in my opinion – how I see this fight going, you know, I got Tony winning this one and getting back in that win column. You know, if like, again, if I'm a betting man, I'd probably lean decision. Uh, even though those odds are horrendous, which also might motivate you to get it, to do that. I'm seeing something, uh, you know, Bobby might overswing on a shot. I'm thinking maybe Tony hits him with those razor, one of those razor elbows uh, and one of those elbows, maybe drops him to the ground and. And, you know, I think Tony might get to the ground and find his way to a, maybe a darts choke or an arm bar or maybe even a rear naked choke. I think I think he gets off one of his submissions for a victory here. And we see, a, we see a victory, a win in the column for Tony Ferguson out here on the 29th. So I'm excited. I think Tony Ferguson gets the job done against Bobby Green. Let's get to the next fight of the bill. This one is just a – this one's a – this is a – Amazing matchup, man! And you got two of the craziest strikers in the division. Everyone knows how amazing Wonder Boy Thompson is. Steven Thompson is the karate background he is an unbelievable striker. And then Michael uh, uh, Michelle M- 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 Michelle, my bad, Michelle Piera, He is an incredibly I don't dangerous i say fighter. I mean, that dude just, he leaves caution to the wind, you know. So, for me, it's just such an underrated fight. I think it's a fight that's not even being built up built up enough, I and mean, that's not probably on the fighters. But, um, you know, Wonderboy is one of my favorite fighters, and he is still elite at 40 years old. You know, And it's a hell of a matchup, like I said. Due to their similarities, I would say, like I said, he's just, Pierre is just a more dangerous version of Wonderboy. They, 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 he's he's got those kicks. He's got the excuse me. He's got the punches. He's got the kicks, but it's a lot more wild. You know, I remember when he did the the. I think he did like a front flip kick into the stomach, which I think is technically illegal, and they didn't call it illegal. But um, I remember seeing that in a fight one time with Piera. So it it's a <laughs> it's a fun matchup. Uh, but when it comes to it uh, in the in the ring. You know, I think the biggest thing that we'll see, you know, being this being in Utah, Salt Lake City, elevation, I think fatigue is going to get to these guys as they are both strikers. I mean, both of these guys have had problems with fatigue in the past. Uh, and specifically, uh, Pierre, I mean, that guy, We I've seen that guy gas, even after the first round, not even making it out of the first round, and gas out. So, And that's that's mainly due to his ridiculous attacks. It's, it's due to him overswinging. Uh, just too many strikes, you know. Too many big strikes. Too many wild attacks. So I think if he can hamper that down, he gives himself a lot, a lot better of a chance to win. But I think Wonder Boy's technique. I think he's gonna be more pre- measured. I think he just takes his time to take apart uh, Pierre in this one, man. I think slowly but surely we'll win the race here for uh, for Wonder Boy. You know, just tap tap tap, find his way, and you know, look for one of those shots uh, when Pierre is overswinging. Uh, I think we see a decision here once again for Wonder Boy, but I would not be surprised if if, if you see you know, you know maybe Pierre hurts Wonder Boy early with some one of his wild attacks, and we see one of those Thompson counters that he has shown before that could could just end the fight immediately. You know, one counter could fi- finish this one so. Uh, I think we go to I think we go to a decision win for Wonder Boy, but don't be surprised if Wonder Boy hits him with one of those counters for a win here. So I got Wonder Boy taking the cake in that fight. Let's get into the co-main event of the evening. This one's insane. Yambolovich versus Alex Piera. Oh man, this one is so damn hard to call, y'all. Alex Piera is making his, you know, making his. Debut at the light heavyweight division. Everyone talked about how massive he was for middleweight, and you saw it against Izzy, even though Izzy put him out, and you can make the case that weight cut it led to him being knocked, being knocked out like that, you know, I mean, cutting 40 pounds. I mean, he's literally weighs, uh, weighs 125 pounds normally. I want you all to understand the middleweight division is 185 pounds. That's a lot of weight to be cutting for a fight and you know you cut the weight and then you just put it all back on the next day that you're dehydrating your body it's so bad for your body i think making this move up to light heavyweight will, will help a lot of things specifically the chin for piera and and in yeah there's definitely a case that there's some things to look at when it comes to the to the jump up cuz the biggest thing is yeah, he's technically is a light heavyweight, but he's not really fought there, so he has not felt that strength. He hasn't felt that power of the light heavyweights. We saw what happened to Izzy, you know, but Izzy didn't put on the weight. I mean, Izzy when he fought Jan for the light heavyweight uh, belt. I mean, I think he only weighed one ninety five for that fight, so he didn't even go up to the full two hundred five uh, limit uh, for the for the light heavyweight uh, um, uh, that championship against Yan. So. And then you saw how, much, how dominant Jan was on the ground. You know, Jan was special once this that thing got to the – I mean, he wasn't even – all he had to do was just hold him because he was just so much stronger you know, with all that size. So – and I've been watching Pierre over this past week on, you know, the embedded and stuff, and the biggest thing he talked about was strength. You know, it's not about size. It's about strength. You got you to gotta know how to use that strength in other ways. And – you know, these two guys are known for their power when it comes to punching. But if this thing becomes a kick butching match, I mean, it's hard not to take Alex. You know, I love Jan, and Jan is a tank. He's got some nasty leg kicks. He will kick on your bone. He doesn't care, dude. He will kick on a checked leg and just walk right through it. That dude is so – he's made of titanium. It feels like that Polish pow, That Polish pow, uh, power. I mean, it's, it's no joke. That Polish power is no joke. He uh, – He's put a lot of people out with it. It's a, an amazing matchup, but I really do think that the grappling is going to be the the, the 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 ultimate decider in this fight. You know, we saw what Izzy did in their first MMA matchup uh, for the belt. When, and when one at, Alex won by TKO, but we saw what Izzy was able to do to him on the ground. I mean, Alex looked like he didn't know what to do, you know, and that was a long time ago. I'll give you that. It's been over a year and stuff, so... You know, Alex has definitely learned and improved uh, on the ground, and obviously, he has one of the greatest minds when it comes to groundwork. A guy that beat Jan in Glover Teixeira. So, when you got a guy like that, you know, it it helps a lot. You can learn so much from a guy in such a little time. Uh, and, and I'm not out here saying that he's going to go out there and out grapple. Yan he's or he's gonna submit him or anything, but I mean, I just want people to understand that Jan is a, a great grappler, and yeah, Glover choked him out, but that's an underrated skill set of his. He's used it multiple times to win fights, and and when you get a fighter like Alex that is just so technical on the feet, I mean, he is so good. I mean, you you obviously you can make the case that Alex was winning the the second fight against Izzy before Izzy put his lights out. You know, he was hurting the leg again, he was getting some nice shots off to the body, you know, he was, he gets he didn't really clip Izzy in that second fight, but, I mean, that's how Izzy, I mean, that's how uh, Piero fights, man, I mean, he will break you down, and find that, he'll find that left hook, man, he is just, he's, he's such a, an amazing striker, technicality-wise, and I know how he got knocked out was his technique going out the window, so I do want to see what would happen if he hurts Yon. Is he gonna leave all caution to the win again? Is he gonna allow himself to get baited again? Like is he baited him? I don't know. I think I think that's something you learn from if you're Piero. So when it comes down to it, I think the grappling will definitely be the ultimate decider in this fight. Who will who will be the better? Not even the better grappler. Who will win the grappling exchanges? Does Pierre have takedown defense? Does he is if he's taken to the canvas? Can he get up? You know, can he get this thing back to the feet? Uh, can he fight submissions? You know, those are those things that like we just haven't seen. We haven't got to see from Pierre and Jan has the ability to kind of put those things into to fruition. So um, at the end of the day, though, if this thing stays on the feet, it's power versus power. Either guy can win. If it's on the feet, I'm taking Alex all day because it's hard not to take a kickboxing, bo- a two-time kickboxing. There's Mamba again. It's too hard not to take a two-time kickboxing champion. Uh, but for me, I think Jan's grappling will be the ultimate decider. Like I said, and he will get this thing by decision. And I know that one is hard for me. Like I don't, I don't ever want to pick against Alex because Alex is one of those guys. Is like it's almost impossible to pick against. This guy comes in the MMA and just dominates. <laughs> like, I mean, he I think he got the title fight in five fights. You know, he got the fast track. Obviously, the history between him and Izzy kind of allowed that to happen. But, I mean, that dude, he is so talented. And it's hard not to pick against him. If it's a kickboxing match, I'm going Alex. If it's, if it's an MMA match like I think it will be because this is MMA, I got Jan via decision. Let's see what happens, man. Gosh, it's such a amazing fight, I cannot freaking wait for that one, but let's get into it, the last, but certainly not least, the BMF belt is on the line, the main event of the evening, Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje, man, oh man, oh man, this is, this is such a good fight, y'all, these are two of my favorite fighters in the entire UFC, and these are two of the baddest, I won't. I don't want to say the word, but they are the two baddest dudes in the on the UFC roster right now. I would say, you don't you don't get better, better, you know, than these two guys when it comes to just just wars. These guys live for wars, and they have fought in them, plenty of them, and understand what it takes to f- to finish them and and get through them. So, let's get into it, though. You know, obviously they fought in 2018, and when Dustin found his way to victory in that one. And it was a wild fight, man. It was what everyone thought it would be. Justin Gaethje kind of th- th- threw caution to the wind, and Dustin was a lot more measured. The biggest thing for this one, I think, now is I think it's going to be a much more measured fight. I think a lot of people believe that it will be, especially early on. We've seen since that fight how much Justin has improved in his technical Technical fighting sense, you know, he's not like I I was watching it and and that after that fight He never he didn't want to be the most entertaining fighter anymore He wanted to be a champion and he's had opportunities at championship status and he failed at him. Justin as well That's why that's why this makes this fight so great still there's in 2020. They were in the top five They're still in the top five in the lightweight division the only two left since then so, you know It's such an awesome matchup to see between these two guys. So uh, when it comes down to it, I think you know, both of them have improved so much, so much. J- Justin has gotten so technical since that fight. You know, but once again, I just—if he's going to try and outbox Dustin, hands alone—I think we see a masterclass from Poirier because man, that dude's boxing is the best I think in the UFC. I do believe if Justin has a route to victories, he's got to make this messy, but not in the sense how he's made it messy in the past. He needs to make this messy. He needs to get that tie clinch, man. He needs to, to get these knees into the body like Charles Oliveira had so much success against, um, Justin Poirier with, you know, get those uppercuts in the, in the tie clinch. go find those dirty boxing, man, elbows, dirty boxing, man. It's get in tight, get in just rip the body, find ways to make this thing dirty. Don't let Dustin just be able to poke you from the outside. And I understand that Justin, one of his best moves is the leg kick. He's the best at doing it. And he's, Got to use that too. He's got to he's got to get rid of that power of Poirier, and that's the best way to do it is get rid of the front uh, the lead leg of a of a boxer. That takes away a lot of the power, man. So I do think he has to lean into those leg kicks like he did in the he did in the first fight. He he just needs to use them even more. I don't know more. Just use them again. Got to take away that power somehow from Dustin. I don't think you're gonna gas Dustin, even though Justin um trains at elevation in Colorado and. Dustin trains in Florida that elevation might be a problem but I just don't see Dustin I don't think I don't think that's going to be a problem for Dustin he's he's such a dog man you know I just I doubt that fatigue will be a, a thing and I mean fatigue's always a it will happen when you get these five round fights you'll definitely see guys dwindle as the fight goes on but I don't think either one of these guys is going to be just huffing and puffing and the reason they lose is because they ran out of gas in their tank so I think you got to take the wind out of Dustin's sa- sails, and the best way for Justin to do that is by leg kicks, getting in tight, finding some uppercuts that, like that uppercutting against some Michael Chandler, you know, just and finding those hooks. You know, those hooks of Justin are so nasty, man. They are power shots, and um, so I, I think if Justin stays technical, you know, and and mixes in the box, the dirty boxing, just mixes it in, mixes it in. You know, it's selective. We saw the, you know, against Dustin, the success, you know, we see with the tie clench, those knees to the body, the body work of Charles Oliveira, Uh, Chandler with his blitzes, you know, that really got Dustin in some big time trouble in that first round when they fought. So I think selective messiness, you know, stay technical. Justin stays technical with that selective messiness. Get some explosions in there. Try and see if you get some explosions like Chandler had on on Dustin. And get in tight like Charles did and find some uppercuts, find some knees, find some elbows. If you can find that, I do think Justin Gaethje could get a finish in this fight. But that is the only way I think Justin could find a way to, to finish this fight. I truly think after everything Dustin's been through, he has learned the most out of all of this. He's still the guy that's just put up the better fights against the fighters that Justin's fought too. I mean, he fought... what. It, Three rounds, three rounds against Charles. I'm pretty sure about that one. And you know, just Justin got choked out in the first round. You know, and both of them got choked out by a rear naked choke. You know, so it's it's one of those things for me. You know, Chandler, Dustin finished Chandler. Justin went the distance with Chandler. So, you know, some of these fights that they've had since then is you see. D- is the finisher, man. Justin, even though that dude is a freaking highlight reel and can finish anyone. I don't want to act like that dude doesn't know how to finish anyone. He's finished a lot of people, um, more than normal, you know. But I think if this is going to come down to a finish, I just think Dustin, I think he gets the job done. What he's learned in his boxing and his just – Dustin's motivation is so – it's so infectious too. I, I love – why he fights man you know he admits like i don't have to do this anymore i mean imagine after a mcgregor payday fighting him twice you don't have to fight ever again i imagine so um for me it's just dustin all the fights that he's had against such technical fighters and i think that's gonna push him i think that's gonna push him a, a little ahead of justin once again i think he's just the better fighter when it comes to technical um status and stuff so I got Dustin, and I think he gets it done earlier than he did in the first fight. I think he gets this one done in the third round, man. TKO finish. And, you know, like I said, it's just styles make fights, and this is an amazing style. And once again, you could not have two better dudes facing off in the BMF for the BMF belt, y'all. You you could not have two better dudes facing off for the BMF belt. And I am just so happy I get to watch this thing live on the 29th. But I think that'll do it for me, y'all. I got Justin Poirier with a third-round finish by TKO. Oh, man. I am so excited for 291. I hope all my predictions are right. If not, they'll probably be all wrong. Um, never, never, never expect me to get these things right, even though I did get a lot of the last card right. So, just saying, just saying. You know, my pred- I didn't put them live, so you can't you can't fact-check me on that, but I swear, I – had Made my predictions on paper and I only got one of them wrong. So if you're a betting person, I would not. I suggest. I suggest. I don't. I don't tell you. I don't. I don't beg you. I'm just saying. I might be your best bet if you're going to be going to bet on some UFC events this weekend. But let's get out of here. I don't want to be um, telling people to go bet on money. That's not a good thing to be doing. Uh, betting on fights and stuff. So let's get out of here. Thank y'all for watching once again, the pound perspective and listening. If you are listening, you can watch this by the way on YouTube. Oh my goodness. That's so cool. Um, on Nate Dog Productions, YouTube channel, go and subscribe as well. We're trying to build that as much as we can, put out a bunch of clips on last week's pod. And we're going to, I'm going to do that again for this week's pod and clip up everything that I talked about. Hopefully that y'all enjoyed this. I've stuck a lot longer than I imagined, even though there was a lot to talk about. So, obviously go follow us on Instagram and Twitter Nate Dog Sports and Nate Dog Productions and Nate Dog Productions on Instagram, Facebook, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube and Twitter as well. So, go follow us, stay up to date. Obviously, like I've said the last couple pods, things are going to be changing uh with the pod, but we will definitely let y'all know and keep y'all up to date when those things happen and how we will make those transitions and make sure that we keep this content rolling for y'all. From Nate Dog Sports and Nate Dog Productions. But once again, thank y'all for listening to The Pound Perspective, presented by Nate Dog Sports. Thanks again for listening to The Pound Perspective, a breath of fresh sports.